0: Psalm 1 is on page 543 even Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So our second reading is from 2 Peter chapter 2 verses 4 to 9 and that's on page 1223 in the Pew Bibles. That's page 1223, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 9. And we're talking about false teachers and their judgment. And Paul Peter chose not a single full stop in what I'm about to read. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned but sent them to hell putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment if he didn't spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people but protected Noah a preacher of righteousness and seven others if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes, and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that righteous man, living among them day after day, was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment.
1: Well, do please keep that passage of 2 Peter open before you, if you will. In the Church Bibles, it's page one, two, two, three. So you can check what I'm saying about the Word of God. So let's uh, just pray before I start. Father God, as we ponder tonight this passage from Peter's letter, we pray that we may be moved again to know you more clearly, to love you more dearly, And to follow you more nearly day by day. Amen. Amen. Well, on the 13th of June this year, the American novelist Cormac McCarthy died, aged 89. He'd been widely tipped to win the Nobel Prize for Literature, though, in fact, he never did. And I can't particularly recommend his books. I've only read one of them, and it's very dark and violent. But he was famous, or perhaps infamous for using very little punctuation, sometimes no punctuation, in long passages. So as Joe pointed out, this passage today is just like that. It's one sentence. But thankfully, the translators put in some punctuation to help us through it. But actually, its argument is really simple. Verses 2 to 8 is a long list of how God has dealt throughout history... Uh, with both righteous and unrighteous people. But after this long list of if God did this and if God then did that and then he did this and then he did that and then he did the other and if he dealt this way with some, then it says, and we come to the crunch. So what follows that point is the main point that Peter, writing this letter, wants us to take on board, to remember. So I'm going to jump straight to that. And I've only got one point, and it should come up here. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. So, that's my main point. I've only got one, I haven't got three. And if we go away tonight remembering this one point, and forgetting all the rest of what I say, then I think Peter has succeeded, hasn't he? So can I challenge you to remember this? The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials, I think we'll leave it up there through through my talk. Well, nobody goes through this world uh, marred as it is by by sin, uh, by human selfishness, without enduring trials. And in a gathering this size tonight, there will be some who are really weighed down by trials, I'm sure. And so, the good news that Peter proclaims is that the Lord knows how to rescue. The godly from trials. So let's go back now to the beginning of this passage uh, and see why Peter is so certain of this one point. And first, we need to see the context of it uh, because the passage tonight starts with four, so that's a sure sign that it's following on from something that went immediately before it. And immediately before it, as Gideon was telling us last week, Peter was talking about false teachers. People who were leading people away from the truth. And it seems that in this particular context, they were saying that Jesus wasn't really going to return. And that there wouldn't be a future judgment. So don't worry about that. And actually that's a very contemporary message, isn't it? That we hear today. So we should pay attention to what Peter says. The false teachers say, don't worry... God's a God of love, so of course at the end of the day he won't judge anyone, he won't punish anyone. And as usual with false teachers, it contains a half-truth, but not the whole truth. And it sounds attractive, doesn't it? God is of course a God of love, he's a hallmark of love, and he is gracious and merciful. But, and there's the but, he's also a just God and in him there is no darkness. So sin cannot coexist with God. So God has to deal with sin. And that is why there will be a judgment. When Helen and I were on sabbatical in New Zealand a few years ago, we we attended the local Presbyterian church in in the small town we lived in. And there was a core of godly people there. But after a while we noticed that they never said a confession, which we do in every single service here. And the preacher, the pastor, never talked about sin, he never mentioned it once. So we had him round to dinner one evening and and we said, you know, why, why don't you ever mention sin? Oh, he said, people don't like it. I mentioned sin once and someone got up and left, so I don't talk about it now. Isn't that remarkable? Because without recognition of sin, which is rebellion against God, it's saying I want to go my way, not your way. There's no need for a saviour to deal with it, is there? There's no need for repentance. And then Jesus just becomes a good moral teacher. Not a self-sacrificing God who knows how to rescue us. That good moral teacher would just leave us to muddle through this broken world as best we can with no certainty of the outcome. So that's not a real God, is it? Actually, there was a good outcome from that discussion because Helen and I asked if we could run a Christianity Explored course in the church, a bit like the Big Questions that's about to run now. Uh, And we did, and there was a group of uh, very encouraging people who came along in a friend's living room. So the rest of this passage is saying, look how God has dealt with sinful people in the past. Those are the unrighteous, that's what it terms them. And look at how he has dealt with righteous people. Those are the people who are right with God, in a right relationship with God. In our terms, those are those people who have put their trust in Christ, who are Christians. So the whole passage is looking... At God's dealing with people through the ages. And Peter's first century audience would have been very familiar with the examples that he uses. More so than us probably. Uh, So we need to work through them and see what Peter is trying to say to us. So if we look down at uh, verse 4, we can see his first example. God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. Well, we don't talk much about angels, do we? I can't quite remember a sermon when um, our vicar has talked about angels. Maybe you have. I've got a bad memory. Um, But we don't talk about it much, do we? But the Bible is no doubt about their existence. There's more than 300 mentions of angels in the Bible. And I think they're best thought of as spiritual messengers of God. And angels appeared in different ways to different people in the Bible. Here's just a few examples. Um, They came to Joseph in a dream, telling him not to divorce, not to put away his pregnant fiancée, Mary. They came to Abraham and Sarah as three men travelling by, just travellers in the desert. To Lot when he was in Sodom as two male visitors. Um, To Moses, the angels appeared as flames in a burning bush that never burnt up. And, of course, uh, we'll be thinking of Christmas all too soon. Uh, They came to shepherds in the field as a heavenly choir at the birth of Jesus. They're important people in the Bible. And Psalm 8 tells us that God made humans just a little lower than the angels. That's how much he cared about them. Of course, he didn't make angels in his image, in the way he did humans. But, evidently, Angels do have free will, and they can rebel against God, just as humans can and do. So it seems to me that the point of this illustration is that no one is above God's justice and judgment. If even angels sin, they will be held for judgment. They'll be held accountable until Christ returns, just as humans will. And I think it's encouraging that, just as with angels, uh, as Peter talks about, so it is with human justice, isn't it? Uh, At least in Western democracy, even high-ranking leaders amongst us are eventually held to justice. Uh, You can just think of the Nazi war criminals at the Nuremberg Trials who had committed horrendous evils. They were ultimately held accountable or in our own time think of Donald Trump now facing over 100 felony charges or nearer at home uh, Boris Johnson and his staff at 10 Downing Street behaved as if they were above the law that they'd actually written during covid lockdowns so there's been 100 over 100 fixed penalty uh, charges issued and paid for breaking those very laws that they had implemented so god treats all alike no one is above above the law, I think Peter is telling us very firmly, and we should be thankful for that. So the next illustration Peter uses, if we look down at verse 5, he's now using an illustration which is encompassing the whole of sinful humanity at the time of Noah's flood. He did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people. But protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. In Noah's family, that was. So in this story, which they would have known well, God decided to sweep sin from the world and have a fresh start, preserving only the righteous lot Noah and his family. So the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. And then moving on to verse 6, he's now narrowing down to two cities, Well, they're cities in the Bible, Sodom and Gomorrah, they're no larger than villages or small towns in our time. Uh, But let's look at verses 6 and 7. He condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless Well, Sodom and Gomorrah were bywords in the ancient world of depraved and sinful living and of their eventual destruction by the sovereign God. Uh, They were used repeatedly in the Old Testament as warnings. Um, For example, Isaiah used them twice, Jeremiah twice, Lamentations did. And Jesus himself used Sodom as a warning of the final judgment when he comes back uh, in Luke 17. So the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. And when we look at this little story about Sodom, I think there's a fascinating aside about Lot. Uh, It's there in brackets, isn't it, in verse 8. It says about Lot, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Now, I think there's a lesson for us here from the way Lot behaved are we outraged? are we distressed and tormented by the evil that we see around us? for example when we see a picture on the TV of a parent holding a dead child covered in their blood do we weep? we should and we've seen those pictures many times in the last weeks haven't we? Uh, from Israel, from Ukraine, from Gaza this is a broken world and we should weep for it we should long for the time when Christ will return and I'm often struck by the way TV presenters before showing us some of those, those shocking images they say some viewers may find this upsetting have you noticed that? And surely, surely they should be saying, all viewers should find this upsetting. This is not the way God meant the world to be. It's been turned this way by human sinfulness, human rebellion. Well, do you see what Peter is doing? It's a bit like um, I was given a camera for my last birthday by my family And it's amazing, you can point it at a flock of birds and then you press this little lever at the front and it zooms in and in and in until it's focused on one single bird in sharp focus. And that's what Peter is doing. He starts with a wide angle view of angels communing with God in the highest heaven, down to the whole of sinful humanity in the Noah flood, onto the inhabitants of those two towns of Sodom and Gomorrah and then down to Lot himself, and then implicitly to us. I think Peter is asking each one of us where we stand, are we right with God, he's saying, because the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. And God can most certainly rescue us if we let him. He wants to do so. But we have to repent and put our trust in him first. Let me just say a word about this rescue. We need rescuing from a life that is disobedient to God. That's the most important thing, and God can do that through Christ. And our ultimate rescue, if we put our trust in Christ, is assured when he returns. But actually, nowhere does the Bible say that in the meantime we will necessarily be removed from this world and its brokenness and its agony and its suffering. So here's an illustration that might help with that. Uh, many of us may have been watching the Planet Three, Planet Earth Three series. You've been watching that? Well, oh, not so many. You should do. Uh, because in the very first episode, there's, there's a, a, a picture where a flock of flamingos on their nests and you know they're raised above the water a bit, the flamingo nests is being battered by the weather, and many of the fledglings died but well, there's a close in view of one of those mothers that had wrapped its large wing right over its cheek and its fledgling was just tucked underneath its wing protected from the weather and my wife uh, Helen reminded me of that lovely verse in psalm 57 which describes how God does exactly the same for us let me just read that to you verse 1 psalm 57 Have mercy on me, my God, have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. That's how God rescues us from the trials of this world. He doesn't remove us from them, but he shelters us under his wings, just as that flamingo mother was doing until the disaster has passed. But there is of course another side to god's rescue and we see that in our final verse tonight in verse nine if this is so in verse nine then the lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials i hope you've all remembered that but also he will hold the unrighteous for punishment in the day of judgment now in our secular society the very notion of a day of judgment sounds outrageous To our secular friends. And the false teachers. In Peter's day. Just as in our day. Were saying come on. Surely God isn't like that. But I want to convince you tonight. That actually the fact that evil will be judged. Is good news. (coughs) Humans care deeply about justice. I mean we all. Well I say we. I have got a very finely tuned antennae to know exactly when I've suffered the slightest injustice and I suspect I'm not alone in that and in more important things time after time we'll see relatives on the steps of a court where there's just been a guilty verdict which isn't going to change whatever horrible thing has happened to those relatives but they always say we just wanted to see justice we wanted to see justice done Watch out for that on the news. And how terrible it would be, wouldn't it, if God said to the murderer, the rapist, the child abuser, the thief, the liar, never mind, it doesn't really matter. I don't want to live in a world like that. And God's world is not like that. Justice matters, and ultimately justice will not only be done, but it will be seen to be done by everybody. And in case you think it's unfair that people who have never put their faith in Christ should be punished, I want to say to you that the Bible is clear that God gives everyone the chance to turn back to him. So there's therefore no excuse if they haven't if instead they've chosen to go their own way. way. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1.20. God is a God of justice. He's absolute justice and we can be certain of that. So the question God asks each one of us through this passage is, will you repent of your disobedience to him and instead put your faith in the saving work of Christ or will you continue to go your own way in rebellion And face that judgment. We can't finish tonight, I have to say, without putting this passage about the seriousness with which God views sin into context. We've looked at the false teachers at the beginning, that was the start of this passage, telling folk not to worry about a coming judgment. But if we turn over the page in the Bible to the very next chapter, we'll find the end of the story. And what it says there is, in the fullness of time, when Christ returns, God is going to sweep away all sin from the earth. Just as he did in Noah's flood, but this time it will be permanent. And so then there will be a world with no more mourning or crying or pain ever again. There will be no more hankies or hospitals or hearses. And those who have put their trust in Christ will live with him in a world which is how God always meant it to be. Where we will be the people God always meant us to be, before we rebelled against him. And that is very good news. And that is the solid reality of the future if we put our trust in Jesus. While as we read in that first reading from Psalm 1, the wicked will be insubstantial... Like chaff that the wind blows away. So the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. Let's pause for a moment and then I'll close with a prayer. As Psalm 1 proclaims, the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. We thank you, Lord, that you know how to rescue the godly from trials. And that you have promised that you will rescue us and watch over us if we put our trust in you. Amen.